A star-spanning saga of ancient magic and deep science, vividly told by a modern master, says Dave Gibbons. Kelly Sue DeConnick states, the kind of epic you crave, both noun and adjective. And that doesn't even quite capture Liam Sharp's astonishing scope and vision. There's magic in these pages. Matt Fraction calls it jaw-dropping and epic and massive. He also says this is a gorgeous and incredible and massive swing for the stars that declares his ambitions have taken him to some exciting and undiscovered territories. Bravo, congrats, cheers, and exhale. This is glorious. What are they all talking about? Liam Sharp's upcoming six-issue series, Starhenge, from Image Comics. Liam himself says of the series, I wanted to do my own Image comic for 30 years. I wanted to do a Merlin comic for even longer than that. This is a culmination of so many dreams and ambitions of mine finally being realized, and that makes it the most exciting and personal comic project I've ever done. I can't wait to see it on the shelves. It's also been described as a mashup of the Green Knight and Terminator with all the Arthurian legends, time travel, and killer robots that entails, plus Merlin, Magic, and Mayhem. The first issue debuts in comic shops on July 6th, with final order cut off on June 13th. So now's the time to tell your retailers to order you a copy. Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Comic Source. I'm your host, Jace. We're here today to talk about uh, a book focusing on superheroes. It's an anthology. It comes out, uh, if you're listening to this on the day it's released, it comes out tomorrow, uh, Tuesday, the what is it, the 14th of June. So uh, it, it very much is focused on superheroes. It's prose, although there are some illustrations by uh, a very uh, well known comic uh, artist, Colleen Duran, uh, and we have the editor, and he also wrote one of the stories in the anthology here joining me, uh, Barry Liga. Thank you for uh, taking the time. Thanks for having me, Jace. This is great. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I got a press release, had a chance to, to take a look at it. I uh, wish I could have had you on a little sooner. That's solely on me and the day job. But what uh, I found fascinating was this idea of really diving into looking at the world outside our window, which supposedly, you know, was Marvel. That was their tagline. Right. Day. But really, when you looked at who uh, the heroes were, it wasn't necessarily representative of the world outside your window in terms of, yeah, it was a little more realistic than uh, things were across the street at DC, but, you know, typically a straight white male superhero. Uh, and yeah. this anthology generation wonder that you've put together really is more representative of the world outside our window. So talk a little bit about the desire uh, to want to put together a, a book like this that's uh, able to sort of represent to a broader scope of people themselves. You know, they're seeing themselves in these heroes. 
Yeah. You know, I, I, I think it's interesting that you brought up the whole, the, the Marvel universe and the world outside your window. You know, I, I think uh, th this may not be a popular opinion, but I, I think those guys were doing their best. I really do. Oh, 100%. Um, you know, give, give, given the time, given the times and the tenor of the times uh, and, and a lot of what they did, and even a lot of what DC did, you know, in the forties and fifties was extraordinarily progressive for the time. But times change and we become more aware of things. And, you know, I've been a comic book fan since the, uh, the early 70s. Uh, that's how I learned how to read. My dad used to shovel comic books at me to get me to shut up. Uh, and it worked. And I would read them and I became obsessed with them. And, yeah, as you get older, you start to realize, oh, like, these guys all look like me. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and that feels nice for me. But, um, you know, maybe there's more to it. And I think as, as time went on, certainly in the 80s, there began to be a trend towards, you know, let's kill Wildcat and put a Latina woman in the Wildcat costume. And let's, you know, let's let's uh, throw throw Bucky away and let's have uh, Battlestar come in and that sort of thing. And and that was great. But it, it always bothered me that I always felt like you know the, these uh, women and, and ethnic minority characters were sort of getting hand me downs from the, the white guys. Uh, and I, I was really interested. I've always been interested in, well, what if you did this from the ground up? And so I've been thinking about this for years and years and years. And about two years ago, I finally I looked at my wife and I said, I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to try to do this anthology um, of, of superheroes the way they would look today if we were starting today. And, uh, and I put together a list of people and I was really thrilled to, to get the people that I got. And, you know, I wanted to do something that wasn't just diverse in terms of, of those angles we all think of when we think of diversity in terms of gender and representation, but also in terms of, of creative diversity. So, for example, Sarah McLean, uh, who is a nationally renowned, one of the biggest romance authors in, in the country, she writes a superhero story. She's never done that before, but she said, yeah, that would be a lot of fun. That would be neat. Um, Paul Levitz, who I'm assuming your <laughs> listeners all know, uh, yeah. who, you know, renowned, amazing, phenomenal, legendary comic book writer, but had never written a prose story before. Uh, and I, and I, so I got him. Same thing with Sterling Gates, known for a great run in Supergirl, known for writing the Supergirl and Flash TV shows, terrific writer, hadn't done prose. And I, I got in touch with him and I said, you want to do this? And he was like, oh my God, yeah, I, I do. And so I, I tried to get diversity from a bunch of different angles to get a lot of different opinions and a lot of different uh, perspectives on, on this thing that we all love, the superhero. Yeah, and uh, so as uh, Barry mentioned, it, these are pro stories, but uh, at the beginning of every story, there is an illustration by uh, Colleen Duran. So uh, I got to, you know, in the interest of full disclosure, everybody, I haven't had a chance to read everything. Totally my fault again, because this was kind of last minute. <laughs> And, you know, I, yeah, I barely got it. it. Yeah, I just got it yesterday. It's nearly uh, 400 pages, so I haven't had a chance to go through all of them. But, uh, yeah, the what I've read so far has been really uh, fantastic. And I think I 100% agree with you, Barry. This is more representative. If the Marvel Universe had started today, you know, yeah. this is what we would see. And I agree with you. Those guys did the best they could at the time. Um, and what's so interesting, you mentioned, you know, the hand-me-down aspect of it. The funny thing is, it's one of those situations where there's no way you're going to please all the people all the time, right? Sure. Like if you don't put somebody of color, a person of color under the cowl of Batman, then you have this segment of people that say, oh, a person of color is not deserving to hold the mantle. Right, of right. A black guy then, can't be Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah yep, exactly. Yep. But then if you do that, then you go, oh, well, they're not uh, you know, important enough to have their own identity. You got to exactly, exactly. So, you know, it's a, it's a tough situation. And, and so, uh, you know, of the couple of stories I've read so far, 
what's interesting is yeah they're complete stories and they're they're really great and they stand alone but at the same time you could see at least of the first two that i read uh that they could develop into something more be, uh maybe even an actual you know comic where you have sequential art so um i mean i, I know i'm putting the card ahead of the horse here because you haven't even released the book but <laughs> any thoughts to to coming back i mean sort of the hard work's done right any thoughts to, to yeah you know, no i mean up? we Definitely. I mean, you know, you, you touched on a couple of things there. First of all, um, uh, a lot of these stories would look great as a comic book, too. There's no question about it. And, and you know, that is going to be up to the individual authors because they have they have the right to do that. Um, I, I can't impose that on them. I would love there are a couple of these that I would just love to see as a co comic book, in particular, Matt Fillion's story, My Life as a Houseplant, which I don't know if you've read it yet or not. It is it was actually the first story that I got uh, from a contributor and I read it and I thought, yep, yep, I did it. I'm doing the right thing. Uh, it, it is hilarious and modern, but it also, it feels like, it, it feels like if, if Wolfman and Perez were doing Teen Titans today, that's what it feels like, uh, which is a tough thing to pull off. Um, so, so, you know, I, I think all the, I think a lot of these stories would be great as, as comic books, as far as continuing the stories. Yeah, there are, uh, there are some of them that, that feel fairly complete in and of themselves. Um, but yeah, there are a few where I've, I've talked to the authors and, and they said, you know, I, I didn't intend to do this, but this feels like the beginning of something. And, uh, and I said, great, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe we'll be able to, to do something really cool uh, going forward. Um, if, if this book does well, I would love to do a second volume uh, and probably, you know, have a few of the folks from book one come in and tell the next part of their story. And then you know, again, keeping with the diversity idea, bring in some new fresh voices to start something else new. Uh, it would be a lot of fun. So uh, what made you decide to go pros in the first place? I, I feel like it was the right, cho right choice for a lot of these stories, because, again, you know, we, you and I, we both love comics. But the thing about comics is the real estate is so much more precious than when you do pros. You, you can get a bigger chunk yeah. of story uh, when you do pros, obviously, in the same amount of pages. Was that mainly the reason you decided to go this direction? There were a couple of reasons. Um, one of them uh, was sheer laziness. You know, a comic book is a lot, there's a lot more moving pieces in a comic right. book. Right. Um, and, and, you know, you've got to juggle artists and I would have to find 13 artists and make sure they matched up well with the stories. And it, it, it started to get really complicated. Uh, the other thing is I'm known as a prose writer. Uh, I've dabbled in some comic book stuff. I would like to do some more comic book stuff going forward. Um, but I'm known as a prose writer. And I had... You know, I wrote um, I wrote a six part, a six book Flash series, um, six prose books based on the Flash. Uh, I wrote uh, a Thanos novel, and I had a lot of fun exploring these characters that I knew primarily through art and words. A lot of fun exploring them in in prose. And I'll be honest, like there's been a significant number of of superhero prose stories out there. I would say the number of good ones is very, very small. Right. I think it's I think it's actually very difficult to capture the uh, the bombast and the, the the fantastical nature of superheroes with just words. There's a reason why when people think comic books, they think superheroes. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and and so I think that's a really difficult thing to do. And so I thought that was a fun challenge uh, to put before these people, especially people like you know Paul who wrote the great darkness saga for God's sake. Like you can't say this guy doesn't understand spectacle, but could he tell a story in just words? Could he do that? And he did, he did it brilliantly. Um, and so that, that was, you know, 
how does the superhero change when you don't have the visuals? And uh, and so they became sort of the stories became a little more personal, I think, which isn't to say there aren't personal comic book stories, but just of necessity, they became very personal stories. Yeah, and I, I think another thing that works to the advantage, too, is to go back to what we were saying before. The, these are new heroes, right? Like, yeah. I'm reading a prose Batman, which has you know, been done, Superman. Uh, I remember, the, I think Roger Stern, actually, the one that was a big part of Death of Superman, wrote, yep. actually wrote the, yep. the uh, adaption. And going back to L.A. Megan with uh, Miracle Monday back, yeah, in the, yeah. back in the late 70s, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But, but as a comic reader, when you read those, you can't help but sort of compare because you already have that idea in your, in your head of, right. Hey, this is what Superman looks on the, co- looks like on the comic book page. Uh, you know, you're kind of playing those visuals in your head. Whereas from, for here, it's, it's kind of, you know, uncharted territory in terms of what's my imagination going to, you know, make the, the world right. look like in, in terms of, of the characters. So uh, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Uh, and that was we- one of the reasons why we had Colleen, come in and do the frontispieces to each story because I thought that it would be interesting for the reader to have a visual of the mm-hmm. character. Uh, and I have to say, just, I have to sing Colleen's praises for a moment because, you know, I originally asked her about this before I had a single author on board. I said, would you be willing <laughs> to do this? And she said, yeah, yeah. Just let me know when you're ready. And I was really imagining her sort of doing like a, uh, a who's who pose, you know, or mm-hmm. a Marvel handbook pose of each character. And instead you, you've seen the book. She did basically a full comic book cover. Yeah. She did 13 comic book covers for these stories. And I was blown away. It was, she gave me so much more than I, I was already expecting something great. And she gave me so much more than that. Um, and, and it, it just, it makes the book even better. Yeah, it really does. Uh, so I want to let the listeners know kind of what is, is in here and who the creators are. So let's go uh, story by story. I'll read off sure. the, uh, the title and the author, and then you kind of give us like a, a brief sentence or two about uh, what you, from your perspective, what the story is about. So yeah, it kicks sure. off with a story called Love to Hate by uh, Lamar Giles. Yeah, that, this is basically the story of a, a teen basketball prodigy. And he's a prodigy because he has superpowers, but he's just not telling anybody. Um, and he's just decided, I'm just going to make myself the world's best basketball player. And then one day somebody pulls a gun at one of his games and he has to decide, OK, what's more important, keeping my secret and, you know, becoming a famous basketball player or saving somebody's life. Yeah, that one. So I've, I've read the first two. I've read that one. I've read yeah. the one by Sarah McLean that we'll talk about next. Yeah. What's so interesting about the, this first one, Love to Hate, is it's one where you can put yourself in that situation and decide, you know, because so many yep. times it, it's a little bit tropey when you talk about comics, somebody gets powers and they immediately decide to be a hero, you know, right. Like, right. As humans, we're a little more complicated than that, you know, we're not necessarily yeah. black. Yeah. Or white. This kid, the first thing he thinks when he realizes he has superpowers is I'm going to be the greatest baller of yeah. all time. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be rich yeah. and famous. Yeah. totally realistic i could totally yep. see somebody doing that so yep. uh yeah then the next one uh as i said by sarah mclean uh the fire that lasts which is sort of future dystopian what's that one about yeah yeah it's sort of a future dystopia where um sort of a, a an organization has has sort of repressed emotion in human beings as a way of controlling uh humanity and keeping people from getting out of line and ember the uh, the main character of the story begins to understand the concept of love uh, and that is a very dangerous thing. And she begins to travel the world to figure out love and how to help people with love. It's, it, it is exactly what you would hope for from one of the world's premier romance novelists writing a superhero. Uh, and I know that a lot of times superhero fans are like, romance, ugh, icky. No, no, it, it works so well. It's so beautiful. 
blew me away like hooked i was yeah. hooked immediately after like the first yeah. page or two she did a isn't the world building job. amazing the world yeah. building is just incredible yeah i finished it and all i could think was first of all i want more uh because mm-hmm. it definitely feels like the beginning of something uh and more even more than just wanting more of this particular story sarah needs to write some comics <laughs> you know <laughs> she really does I, I, will, I will tell her you said that <laughs> yes fantastically uh talented uh well now we're getting to the ones that i haven't had a chance to read yet yeah. uh, ordinary kid by joseph is it bruce bruchak yeah joseph yeah. bruchak um this is a great story it's a, a native american kid who uh realizes he's developing superpowers and is is I'm going to say helped in scare quotes by uh, a manifestation of Raven, the Native American god Raven. Gotcha. And I and I use it in scare quotes because Raven is not terribly helpful. Raven is more snarky and sarcastic than anything else. And uh, it really, you know, I, I said to to Joe when I was talking to him about the story, I said, I'm getting a big Looney Tunes vibe off of this. <laughs> and he said, absolutely. Um, and it, it's it's like Looney Tunes meets Native American mythology meets superheroes. It's just like, this kid just trying to figure out how to use these goofy powers and, and try to save this, this girl's life. And meantime, he's got this, this Raven, this God on his shoulder, mocking him and being snarky and sarcastic. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> that does sound like a lot of fun. Uh, up next one. Uh, well, actually not quite yet. Uh, fly lions fly by Morgan Baden. Yes. Baden, Morgan Baden. Baden, uh, Baden. And I know how to pronounce that. She's also my wife. Uh, oh, <laughs> she is a, she's a, a best-selling ghostwriter and uh, she's written a couple of books under her own name that have come out. And uh, it's funny because she's not a huge superhero person um, despite being married to me. But when I told her I was putting together this anthology, she said, uh, Oh, I have an idea. And I kind of looked at her and went, really you do. <laughs> and, uh, and she said, cheerleader superheroes. And I went, sold um <laughs> and she wrote this really cool story uh this girl Cece, who is new to a school and joining the cheer squad and um begins to wonder why the cheer squad disappears all the time where do they go and why is it that on all these crime scenes there are little pieces of pom-pom left over and uh and it's it's a very very cool story it's a lot of wow, fun that sounds like a lot of fun as well uh this one you mentioned before uh, my life is a ha- uh, houseplant by uh matthew mm-hmm. fillion Matthew Fillion. Yeah, this is this is again, this takes sort of a, a standard superhero trope of uh, the, the radioactive meteor that crashes and gives somebody superpowers, uh, but then goes crazy places with it. Um, and the next thing you know, the main character is fighting literally uh, the, the deli counter at a grocery store that has come to life. Um, and it's just <laughs> it is madcap. It's hilarious. It has a, a deep heart to it. Um, and it's it's just terrific. And, and again, Matthew does. Um, a lot of, he's got his own series, The Indestructibles, which is a teen superhero series that really feels like an updated version of the old Wolfman Perez um, uh, Teen Titans comics. Mm-hmm. And, and he's managed to take that, that feeling, but give it a modern energy, which I think is actually very difficult to do. And uh, because if you would go back and read those books that we all remember so fondly, they were really of their time. They were right. a very, you know, 80s kind of book. And he has managed to, to update them 30, 40 years and make it feel fresh and new. And uh, and this story is part and parcel of that. And it's, it's, and it's just funny as hell. Uh, up next, we have Aubrey versus the Ninth Circle of Hell, a.k.a. Prom. I, I know my senior prom was definitely the Ninth <laughs> Circle of Hell. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, this one's by uh, Elizabeth Yulberg. Yeah, Elizabeth wins the title for longest title uh, in the anthology. Um and uh, and this is this is you know a uh, uh, girl in a uh, in in a exclusive boarding school who uh, 
her her adoptive father is very distant from her and uh and and she comes to realize that he is a supervillain and that he has been testing her all these years to try to see if she's worthy of, of living up to to what he does uh and there's a nice little twist in there towards the end but it, it's basically her you know I, I like to tell people this story is about figuring out who you really are so that you can decide who you want to be um oh, that's and and it, and it it all it all comes to a head at senior prom because of course it would it, it, it's a John Hughes movie with superpowers. <laughs> uh, up next, we have from Danielle Page, something borrowed or the costume. Yeah, this is another one with really nice sort of classic superhero tropes, but also uh, notes of romance in it. This is uh, uh, main character Mags is the seamstress to the superheroes. She makes their costumes. Uh, and that doesn't just mean that she's sewing up the costume. She's also building the gadgets that go into them and things like that. So she's, she, she's that, she's that character. And she sort of has a crush on one of them. Um, and then uh, something horrible happens to most of the superheroes. And for the first time she has to put on a costume and she has to go out and figure out what to do, who the bad guy is, how to stop them. And can she save the day? So it, it's sort of, you know, it, it, it's, it's a nice Cinderella story. Yeah, that's a good, another good way to put it. Uh, the, the next one is The Knight's Gambit by Varian Johnson. And listeners, if that name sounds familiar, Varian Johnson, if you recall, uh, he did a Mr. Miracle for DC's YA line and was on the show to, to talk about it. So uh, what's Varian's story all about? Varian's, I love Varian's story because it goes so dark. <laughs> it goes so dark. It is uh, a kid whose father is, is a world-famous superhero um and the father is is waiting for his son's powers to kick in but they have not kicked in and the father is beloved by everybody but at home he's horrible he's abusive he's just a horrible person and so everybody in the world worships him but his son knows who he really is and is sort of like desperate for his powers to kick in so he can do something about it Mm. and it just the story just goes there it gets super dark um, you know, I was really, really pleased to, uh, to see it because it, it just, it brings that grim to, uh, to, to the anthology. And, and it's funny because Varian's, Varian's stories are, are mostly known for being more sort of adventure stories. Mm-hmm. When, when they announced he was doing Mr. Miracle, I was like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, but, uh, so, so this really dark story, uh, played against type and worked really well. Wow. He must've had a blast doing something kind of different from what he's done before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he said he had a really good time. That what he likes about doing short stories is he can experiment with things that he wouldn't normally do, um, and and he did it in spades this time. It was great. Yeah, Sterling Gates' story is up next. I got to say, the title is <laughs> if you if you know Sterling, <laughs> this is this is him, right? Like just his sensibility with this title because it would work. I could see it, uh, an episode of a TV show being called this or a, a comic. Uh, yeah, just, yeah, it, it epitomizes him very well. The name of the story is "The Night I Caught a Bullet." Yeah, Sterling's story was a lot of fun, and 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 it was fun to work with him on it from the beginning because again he hadn't done prose, uh, so it was fun to sort of see the raw story and then like you know shape it and help help him work on it, um, and and he just he, he clicked and he just figured it all out. That came out so well. Um, uh, Cassie's father has died recently. She is depressed. She is is hurt. She misses him terribly. There's a knock at the door. It's a lawyer who says, your father wanted you to have this and gives her this bracelet. And, uh, and then she's in school and uh, the clock stops and everything stops. 
but she doesn't. She's still moving. Everything else has stopped. And now she's trying to figure out what are these powers? What am I doing? What was my dad all about? And, um, you know, one of the things that's interesting is Sterling, you know, Sterling is, is from Oklahoma. He said it in small town, Oklahoma. Um, and, uh, and, you know, which is a more diverse place than you would think. And he wanted to show that. And, uh, and, and so it's a really great story of this girl dealing with her grief and at the same time dealing with a mystery and dealing with these powers. And of course, based on the title, as you know, dealing with a bullet. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, up next, we have Mecha Girl by Axie O. Axie, Axie does these terrific science fiction stories that uh, uh, typically take inspiration from, from Korean mythology and Korean lore. And uh, she did a really fun story here um, about uh, a character who's, who's uh, Ari, whose sister is missing. Um, Ari goes to a, a private school, which is on an island where in the near future, all the world's money to lead, send their kids to this private school on this island, which might seem safe, but the problem is when the bad guys attack, there's nowhere to go. Mm. And that's what happens one day. The bad guys attack this island to take the, the children of the money to loot hostage. Axie's sister is missing, but left something behind that, not Axie, I'm sorry, Ari's sister is missing, but left something behind that Ari finds, which is a mecha suit. And now she's got to use this suit. Can she beat the bad guys? Can she figure out what happened to her sister? Um, it, it's, it's terrific fun. Yeah, sounds like it. Uh, up next is Queeros and Villains by Anne-Marie McLemore. Yeah, uh, I had met Anne-Marie years ago and, uh, and, and, and just really, really enjoyed uh, what, what I had read. And so this is one of the first people that I asked to be in the anthology. And, uh, and, and they delivered with a vengeance. It's a terrific story about um, a world in which the government has created a drug that is supposed to turn queer kids straight. Mm. And, uh, and, and our main character, uh, her parents are, are making her take this drug. And it turns out there's a problem with the drug. It doesn't actually work. It doesn't actually turn queer kids straight. It gives them superpowers. So um, it is, it's a really great story about accepting who you are, figuring out who you are, accepting who you are, and how that gives you power. And, uh, and it's just, it's wonderful. It, it's exactly the story I was hoping I would get, like down to the last word. And I was really, really happy with it. Yeah, sounds very topical, and yeah, that would be cool. I think the world might be a little bit better place if that actually were. To yeah, yeah, seriously. I mean, it was it was one of those things where I was like, wait, wait, wait. There's a drug that makes queer kids straight. Do we want to write a story? Oh, wait. Oh, that's cool. Uh, you know, just it just backfires horrifically for you know for the people who want it to work right, and um, and then you just get all these kids who are like, wait a minute, we're the most powerful people on the planet now. Um, yeah, so awesome. very cool. Awesome. Uh, up next is your story. Uh, Power Baby Blue Grows Up. <laughs> yeah, this was um, I had a story I was going to do for the anthology. And then I woke up one morning with the idea for Power Baby Blue in my head. And I just sat down and did it in one sprint of about six hours, wrote the story. Um, it is it, it's inspired by by like the all these weird cartoons that my kids watch, uh, you know, Paw Patrol and Rainbow Rangers and and, you know, the old Powerpuff Girls. And just, I started thinking to myself, like, okay, what if you really did give like kids superpowers, um, you know, or dogs or whatever, what have you, what, what if these, you know, thinking about the logical ramifications of some of these cartoons. And so um, Power Baby Blue is, you know, he, when he was three years old, he was given superpowers and now he's 16 and he hates being reminded of the stuff he did, you know, he used to fly around in a diaper and a cape. And, uh, 
and he he hates it and he's miserable and he doesn't want to do it anymore and 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 i just started thinking about child actors and you know when they grow up um and and so it's a very um it it, it can be very uh very cynical but there, there's a core to it i think that 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 pulls you through and and makes it all work yeah sounds fun uh last story is bumped by uh the, the aforementioned legendary paul levitz yeah um you know, Paul told me he was going to do a story set in the future, and I started thinking of the Legion, of course. Um, but his story, his story set in a future where um, pollution and environmental hazards have gotten so bad that most people are are basically functionally blind at this point. Um, and uh, and you know, he sort of plays the ramifications of that for society. And if you can afford it, uh, you can get what's called the bump, which is these super enhancements that allow you to see again, that give you greater strength. You know, all all of that sort of thing. Um, and his character, Garrett, can't afford the bump. He can't even find a job. Um, but he sort of lucks into a situation where maybe he could get the bump. And the question becomes, what is the, if you got superpowers, what would be the most heroic thing you could do with them? Um, and Paul has a really amazing, sweet answer to this question. And it's funny because when I read this story and then when, when uh, my, my editor at Abrams read the story, we both agreed, we're like, this is the last story in the anthology. This is what we want people to close the book on and to be thinking about when they're done. And uh, it's a real, it's, it's a really cool story. And, and there's only like two characters in it. There's not like 35 characters from different worlds. So, you know, he focuses on just two characters. Uh, that's, that's fantastic. I'm a big Paul Levitz fan, much, uh, you know, grew up on Legion, much, much like yourself. And Paul's yep. been on the show several times. Um, so you, you mentioned he hadn't written prose before, I, and I didn't realize that. I guess because he'd done some, he's done some nonfiction stuff. He has his will. Yeah, yeah, he's done nonfiction. I, I, I joked that I had to teach him how to use quotation marks. <laughs> <laughs> what was the experience like for him? Did you did you hear any feedback? It was, you know, it was it was funny because I, you know, I, I asked him if he would do this, and much to my delight and surprise, he said, "Yeah, sure." Um, and I didn't really have a plan after that because I didn't really think he would say yes, um, but he said yes. And, um, and there came a time when I realized, oh, God, I'm going to edit Paul Levitz. <laughs> um, like, you know, this guy was my hero growing up. And, and, and I'm going to tell him what's good with the story and what's bad with the story and how to fix it. And, and it, was, it was really sort of nerve wracking for me the, the first time we got on the phone to talk about the story. And, and I remember he, he could tell that it was nerve wracking for me. And he said, look, I've been in your seat before. Like, I was editing Joe Orlando, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, I was a kid and I was telling these guys that I'd grown up on what to do. So I get it. Just, it's okay. Just, you know, you can't say anything worse than what more Weisinger said, you know? Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, and I was like, and I, you know, read plenty of things about more Weisinger. So I was like, you know, it's true. I probably can't be any worse than more Weisinger. Right. Um, so it was, you know, the story was always there. It was always solid. It was just a question of how do you pace things? when you don't have pictures, you know, you, you need, a, you need a few extra words here to, to let the reader sink into it, or you need to cut a little bit here to surprise the reader. It was just that kind of, it was just those little, and you tell him, and then he just did it. And he under, he got it instantly, you know, just like Starlink. I mean, they just, you know, these guys know how to tell stories already. You're just teaching them the format and, right. and, and it, it takes no time at all. And, right. and it was just wonderful. And it was a really, great experience and i deliberately put my story right next to his because i was like that's editor's prerogative i'm putting my story next to balls so yeah 
Well, uh, as we're going through these and we're, you, you know, you're giving us a, kind of the broad overview of what each one is, is about. There's a couple of things that strike me that kind of a, a through line of all the stories, mm-hmm. which I think the best anthologies have. Uh, and you talk about this in your forward as well. This idea of not just the representation that we've been talking about and the chance for people of more diverse backgrounds to see themselves, you know, on the comic book page or in, in you know, the shoes of these superheroes in, in this case, uh, because it's prose. But the other thing is, so not just identity, but also deciding who you are, c- coming of age, if you will, because yeah. regardless of your background, regardless of where you're from, you know, race, ethnicity, whatever, we all go through that. You know, we all go through, you know, puberty and adolescence and our bodies change. And, you know, yeah. um, so that's ultimately maybe the most relatable thing about being human because we all grow up. Right. Um, right. So was that something that you that you talked to the writers as you recruited them, or was it just this thing where it's sort of endemic to telling superhero stories? You think, you know, I tried, I tried to be as hands-off as I could be in the early stages. I didn't want to tell people. um, I didn't want to be prohibitive at all. I didn't want to say, try to do stories like this or not like that. Um, I just, I said, superheroes, teens run with it. And, you know, I knew based on the people I'd gotten, some of these people have been friends of mine for a while. Some of them I was just getting to, to know by doing this, um, you know, but I, I knew from investigating people or knowing people what their proclivities were. And I had a sense of what they would provide, what they would, what they would do. And I, I do think that, you know, whenever you're doing a teen story, I think it is very natural to do that sort of story of discovering who you are. I think that that, that has additional resonance for certain um, for certain communities um, in, in this country, you know, because it can be very difficult to figure out who you are or where you stand, um, to, depending on, on those things. Um, but also, I, I feel like superhero stories, you know, recently I, I did a podcast where I talked about how superhero stories are all about the middle. You know, you get your origin story pretty quickly and you don't get, a fin- you don't get an ending story. You're, you're in the middle all the time. And the middle is where things change. The middle is where you figure things out. Um, you know, sometimes Frank Miller comes along and does Dark Knight and gives you an end. But mm-hmm. Batman is a billion dollar property. So you can't cancel Batman after that. You got to tell more Batman stories, right? Mm-hmm. So you got to say, well, that, that's an imaginary story. And uh, that could happen. But we're going to keep telling stories set in the present. Um, so the, these stories never get to end. And certainly when you're a teenager, you feel like it's never going to end. You know, you, you, you feel like you feel like you're going to be a teenager forever. You're never going to get out of your house. Your parents are never going to get off your back, you know, that sort of thing. And so I I think it is sort of a natural thing that that they go together. There's a reason why so many superhero characters are, are teens or young adults, you know, Um, it just works really well. Um, you know, you, you, you know, bringing things full circle here, you started off by talking about the Marvel universe. I mean, that was the genius of, of Stan and Steve of making Spider-Man, despite the name man, making him a kid, right. making him a teenager, um, which is just that perfect age to, to have, you know, when you're a teenager, you're getting all these things thrown at you that you can't understand and you can't deal with. And so they just threw a radioactive spider into that. And, and, and it just, it works. And the reason it works is because it's a very relatable thing to think you're a teenager and you're overwhelmed by your own life. Yeah, it's a, it's a hundred percent true. Uh, and yeah, I think especially based on kind of the, the, the audience you're going for here, again, it just makes it that much more uh, relatable. So, uh, where are people going to be able to find generation wonders going to be, you know, uh, widespread distribution and all 
Yeah, books, books yeah, yeah. It should should be should be in every bookstore. Should be on on every online bookstore. Um, there will be an audiobook um, edition as well with different uh, different narrators for the stories for the different stories. I think we have six or seven different narrators across the 13 stories, which is really cool. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, I saw a list at one point um, and, and that's going to be, I think, really cool. I think it's going to add a new dimension to this. Um, it will be, uh, it's available in comic book stores. It was in the April previews. Um, I don't have the order code at hand right now, but it is there. You can get it from comic book stores. So yeah, it should be everywhere. Fantastic. Well, you're almost at the end here. It comes out in just a couple of days. There must be a sense of ner- nervousness, but also probably excitement that it's going to be out there. I, you know, there, there are both of those things, but the biggest emotion I'm feeling is, is sort of incredulity. I, I keep, you know, I have my author copies of the book and I keep looking at it and I keep going, I did this. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, I mean, I, I've published, uh, you know, 25 books in my career, but, but for some reason, this one feels this is the one that I can't believe I'm actually holding in my hands um, because it, it wasn't just me. You know, I, I had to go out and find these other 12 authors and, and, and Colleen and they all agreed to do it. And it all, it all worked. I'm like, I can't believe I actually did this. This is great. Uh, and I, I can't wait for people to see it. I, I think, so I, I think there's something in there for everybody, whatever kind of hero you like, I think you're going to find at least one story in here that's going to make you sit up and cheer. Yeah, I'm excited for it to be out there and for you to hear a reader reaction, because I got to imagine everybody's professional. Everybody does a great job. But in a way, that many authors kind of like herding cats, you know, like what's going on over here? What's going on over there? Uh, it worked out pretty well. They, they, they all behaved pretty well. You know, I, I, I there were one or two problems. But other than that, everybody was good. Yeah, just, you know, so many plate spinning. But what I, I what I'm excited for, not just to hear the reader reaction, but I think what's going to be cool is you're going to have different readers that say, Oh, this is the best story. Or this is my favorite story. Yeah. You know, oh yeah. Be a yeah. Lot of different choices there. Yep. 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 Yeah. So I, I can't wait. I can't wait for that. Yeah. 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 And I won't, I won't put you on the spot and ask you to, to pick a, a favorite. Cause I, you know, it's like <laughs> trying to pick a favorite, a favorite child. Uh, so uh, best of luck. I'm really excited for you. I can't wait to, to sit down and finish reading these cause uh, they're fantastic. Uh, so as we're winding down here, any last thoughts that you want to share with our listeners? I just, I hope that, that they will uh, give it a chance. You know, I, I know being a, an enormous comic book geek myself, I know that sometimes um, prose, you know, is one of those things where we're like, well, I read comic books for superheroes and I read prose for other things. Um, and, and I've been there. So I, I hope people will give it a shot, uh, at least pick it up and, and thumb through it and try dip into one or two stories. And, you know, the great thing about an anthology too, is that you don't have to read it straight through. You can just try out you know, skip around, try things out, see what you like. Uh, and, and I hope people will do that and, and give it a shot. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's a good thing. Something else uh, reminded me that I wanted to mention is ask your local library. You know, if you're not sure you want to pick this up, ask your lo- local library, they'll likely have a copy. And, you know, I, I imagine after reading one or two of them, you might be like, eh, I need, I need a copy for, for myself, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it should. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if it'll be in libraries on drop date, right. but, uh, but libraries should pick it up. And if they don't, you can always request that they do. Exactly. Um, and, and that's great too. We love libraries. So yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and I, I got to imagine this will, should probably do well at book fairs as well, because again, it's, you know, in that sweet spot. And, and, you know, like you said, it's not something you got to read, you know, from page one all the way through, you can jump around, you can skip around, you can find what works for you. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, well, one last question before we uh, close out here, I mentioned uh, reading your forward, you talked about 
your dad buying you Legion comics. You talked about what a big Paul Levitz fan you were. So yeah, I was a huge Legion fan as well. And this was my thinking you know, at five, six years old, very limited budget, obviously. And I always gravitated towards Legion because I thought I was getting more bang for my buck because oh, God, you know, yeah. I can buy <laughs> just Spider-Man and read about just Spider-Man or I can buy this book called Legion and see a bunch of different heroes, a bunch of different powers. Were you thinking along the same lines at all? Was that why your dad chose Legion? Do you know? You know, I don't know. I, it's funny because I still have the first Legion comic I ever got, I ever read. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I'm not sure what drew him to it. I imagine that what drew him to it was Superboy was on the cover. Mm, and so gotcha. he just, he probably didn't even realize it wasn't a Superboy comic. He probably just, oh, Superboy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, and so I, I think that's probably where it started. But I know that as time went on, of course, you know, I had a limited allowance. Um, and but yeah, like Legion, it's everything. It was everything you said. Like it was that huge cast, that sprawling cast, plus villains, plus you know family members and lovers and girlfriends and boyfriends. Plus it was set a thousand years in the future, so it was, you know, it was everything you could get piecemeal from other comics, but in one, one comic. comic. Yeah, 100%. plus every now and then Superboy and Supergirl showed up. So great. Um, and 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 I think that was what drew me to it. Um, and, and it was, you know, the first comic I read regularly. Um, and then, you know, I got frustrated that I couldn't always find issues on the spinner racks. So my dad got me a subscription to it. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, the habit grew from there into a horrible, horrible addiction. But, um, but somehow I've managed to survive. Uh, but yeah, I, I, think, I think that's what it was. I think it was just the spectacle. And, and I think people now probably don't realize what you and I knew then. I mean, because video games are so good now and movies are right. I mean, did you ever think you would see the battle at the end of end game? Like, did oh. you ever think you would see that in motion? Um, you know, the only way we could get that when we were kids was to pick up a comic book. It didn't exist anywhere else in the universe. And, and I think that was what, what drew me to it. It was such spectacle. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So, so it sounds like we're on the same page there. Yeah. Uh, okay. Listeners, Generation Wonder, ask your comic shop, ask your library, head down to your local Barnes and Noble, order it online. Uh, it's a fantastic book. With, however you have to get it, get it. However you have to get it, get it, get the audio version, listen to it in your car or on the subway, whatever you need to do to uh, check it out. It's very much worth your time. So uh, Barry, congratulations on uh, the project. Best of luck. Hope the sales numbers do fantastic. And I really appreciate you taking the time. Jace, thank you so much. I had a great time. I thank you and thanks, thanks to your listeners. Great. Uh, and I'll uh, extend my thanks to your listeners as well. We really appreciate the support and for you listening as always. And we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.